William Little, known as the Mole Man of Hackney, spent 40 years underground. In the 60s, he inherited a 20-room house just round the corner from Dalston Junction Overground Station in northeast London, and over the next 40 years, he put his expertise as a civil engineer to work beneath his house, tunnelling in a dozen different directions from his basement out into the street and beyond. Almost 33 tonnes of soil were painstakingly solo excavated by William as he crawled beneath the city streets in the muffled night of the underground. Neighbours complained that his work was causing sinkholes to develop in their gardens, and even when he occasionally let someone down into his little sanctuary, there were still tunnels he kept blocked off, refusing to let anyone else explore. When asked why, he gave ephemeral, unclear answers, such as, I'm just a man who loves to dig, and I just wanted a big basement. Who knows how far he eventually got, or if there are any tunnels that he abandoned and resealed after finding something unexpected. We know that he got as far as the water table, which is pretty deep in that part of the city. It's a testament to his skills that he never got buried or flooded out. In 2006, he was evicted by the local council who filled his tunnels with concrete and housed him on the top floor of a high-rise apartment nearby, specifically to discourage his tunnelling. He died in 2010, probably to the great relief of the local planning department. But when the council went to clear out his place, they discovered his last little act of resistance. Refusing to be contained, he dug through the walls of his little apartment, turning it into a huge, open-plan tunnel. I'm James Thompson. This is Subterraneans. Where does the urge to dig come from? Kids on the beach understand it instinctively, as do old men watching roadworks and nodding occasionally with their hands on their hips. There's something primarily satisfying about digging a big hole. The only issue, as we all learn quite young, is that you can't actually tunnel to Australia like you promised you would. You have to have more humble goals than that. Even aside from the water table and the fickle nature of plastic excavation gear, digging into the earth is difficult. I recently read a thread from a civil engineer, Connor Tabarrok, on Twitter on why we don't just build skyscrapers which go down into the ground. Even putting aside the obvious issues with drainage and the immense strain on the walls, items tend to float upwards over time when buried. What the pressure of the dirt can no longer crush, it expels. And yet, some people refuse to be expelled. William Little is far from the only mole man to operate a series of underground tunnels with no clear purpose. Dr. Glenn Havens of San Diego started digging a barbecue pit in 1949 and apparently never stopped, constructing a dozen rooms, 700 feet of tunnels, and hauling out over a thousand tons of dirt by hand. His daughter even had her wedding down there, despite the city's objections. Harrison Dyer dug a combined total of over 400 metres of tunnels under his houses in D.C. and California, 
with the former network only being discovered when a truck fell through into a sinkhole through the road. He reportedly called it good exercise, saying, Some men play golf, I dig tunnels. Psychiatrist Anton Tolk, in an article about Austrian hobby tunnelist Michael Altman, theorised that this instinct ties to a yearning to return to your mother. Translating from the original German of the article, it's relatively easy to explain psychoanalytically, he said. You can interpret the digging as a longing for the safe womb. The cave encloses and provides protection. As long as you dig, you live, because the digging continues endlessly. I don't buy the Freudian approach, though. As with all such sticky psychiatry of the flesh, it leaves me cold when applied to the sterile corridors of the actually existing human brain. We're less complicated than all that, you know? Simple creatures. The recesses of our brains easily illuminated with gentle lighting or buried under strips of neon. It's only in packs we're complicated. I guess I'm more of a sociologist than a shrink. But the more men work alone, I feel compelled to mention Elon Musk here, arguably the 2010's most famous tunneler. His disease is different though, and much more easily explained. He's a fucking cunt. There are hundreds of cases of hobby tunnelists around the world, and that's just the ones we have officially documented. When I looked into this in more detail, I discovered there's an entire parallel world of people digging holes in their back garden. They have web forums, delightfully 2003 looking web forums at that, where they post pictures of their digs or share tips on how to secure their roofs more effectively. It's a whole subculture, complete with running jokes and members who everyone else bullies. Once a previously well respected member, Graben2005, posted a picture of their tunnel which included a flagrantly homemade shovel, which has since come to be known as the Grabenator. It was so obviously impractical and dangerous that it's become a running joke if someone posts a really awful looking tunnel pick, for everyone to reply with pics of the Grabenator, implying they dug it with a nasty looking length of 2x4 strapped to some corrugated sheet metal and... You get my drift. Internet subcultures do this sort of thing. The most whispered about aspect of the hobby though, and the thing that will get you banned from two out of the three reputable tunneling forums and confined to a sub-forum entitled Crank's Warehouse on the third, is talking about the calling. The thing about mole people, a term embraced by some and rejected by others depending on which part of the forum you're on, is that they don't tend to spend too much time examining why they want to dig a big hole. Most of the posts are strictly functional, the type of hobbyist chat you tend to find in this sort of place. But it's not totally undiscussed either. I first read about the calling via an oblique reference in a locked thread, in amongst a sea of posts deleted by the mods. The last message in the thread was a moderator letting people know, in no uncertain terms, the discussion of the calling was not permitted, and that those who talked about it would have their IPs reported to local mental health services. Naturally, I had to know more. 
I reached out to a member who I knew from my lurking had a reputation as a bit of a loose cannon in the hobby tunnelist community. He's also London-based, so doubly convenient for me. After some back and forth, I know a lot of tunnelists are paranoid about being discovered and forced to destroy their pet projects. He agreed to meet me at a cafe in Finsbury Park. He told me, it's like gravity. You feel like it's pushing you down, but actually, it's pulling you in. Wilson, not his real name, obviously, struck a nervous figure, bundled up in a heavy old coat with dirt under his fingernails, nursing a cold cup of tea at 10.30am on a weekday. He had that sort of lithe, urchin, fingerless glove energy, even though he wasn't wearing fingerless gloves, and was definitely too old to be called an urchin. Like most of the tunnelists working in London, he'd inherited his house from working-class parents who bought it in what was a dodgy neighbourhood 50 years ago. He now regularly gets flyers from real estate agents trying to tell him how much he could make renting or selling it, but unfortunately they fall straight through the letterbox into the 10 metre deep hole he's dug in his hallway. You have to start deep, he told me. If you go too shallow to start with, you'll cause subsidence nearby and get caught. You have to get deep enough that you can get all the way under the foundations of nearby buildings, and then you can shore them up without anyone knowing. He's in an interesting spot, not too far from where the Piccadilly and Victoria lines meet and diverge as they run north. This, too, gives him some points of reference for the network of tunnels he's got running beneath the suburbs. He claims to have dug right up against the outer reinforcements of the Victoria line at one point, although he's quick to note that he could never tunnel all the way through. And he never would. Much too dangerous, he said, with a mouthful of chocolate croissant. Those trains will tear you apart. He actually refuses to ride the underground, claiming it's too dirty. Despite that, when he went to pay for his cup of tea, the ageing tenor he pulled out from the depths of his coat was literally covered in soil. After he'd gotten good and comfortable with me, which did take a few hours, I asked him about the calling. I did it tentatively at first, knowing it was a sensitive topic among tunnelists. But when he grinned ruefully and stretched his arm out in a broad shrug, saying, Ah, now what would I know about something like that? I knew I'd come to the right place. The calling to hear Wilson tell it is what drives people to dig. It comes abruptly one day, not as a yearning, but as an instruction, cutting through into a radio signal or a TV broadcast or a concert or, for one person in particular, a matinee performance of Cats in the West End. It's connected somehow to popular culture, and each person who's talked about it has a slightly different story, but with the same connective tissue of an intrusive message in something familiar. It rings out, addresses them directly, and then retreats immediately, never to be heard again. Most significantly, nobody around them is able to hear it, no matter how public the setting. It's as if it never happened. Honestly, 
The first thing it made me think of was gang stalking forums, a peculiar and sad phenomenon where people become convinced they're being stalked by an organised group. People who claim to have fallen victim to gang stalking describe themselves as targeted individuals, TIs for short, and talk about a sprawling conspiracy designed to run them out of their homes and drive them to madness or despair. It is, tragically, often a symptom of a deeper mental illness, like hoarding behaviour or delusional pregnancies, and the ties to the calling are clear. Obsessive behaviour, self-sabotage, paranoia, and social isolation are all hallmarks of those who have spoken out about it. That said, something about the calling seemed different. Wilson was certainly a bit of a character, but he seemed sociable and pleasant, and didn't hold any of the other obviously delusional beliefs to my inexpert eye. More importantly, unlike those other issues, a large number of people had arrived on Hobby Tunnelist forums having already experienced the calling, with complete and comparable experiences. Gang stalking and delusional pregnancies tend to be exacerbated by forums and Facebook groups discussing them, whereas the calling was understood by its recipients to be something personal, not necessarily for sharing or discussing. It was treated, bluntly, like a dirty secret between friends, rather than a paranoid fantasy fueled by confirmation bias. So what do recipients of the calling have in common? Well, not too much, actually. They tend to be property owners, but not exclusively. Some hobby tunnelists work in local parks or green spaces, although they tend to get caught quicker. Other than that, it's a hobby which crosses class and race boundaries, with the obvious proviso that I was on the English-speaking internet and therefore mostly interacting with British and North American posters. Recipients of the calling tend to be a little socially isolated, but many have families and at least one is a successful business owner. My sample group skews male, but that might, again, be a side effect of message board culture, rather than the actual phenomena itself. Despite all their differences, the message of the calling was consistent. It only happens once, but it carries with it a bottomless void of compulsion, an aching deep within the soul to obey. Recipients describe a direct address to them, with a sense of urgency attached to it. It instructs them on the tools they'll need to get started, where to go, and to begin digging. It then cuts out as abruptly as it started. Wilson told me that the feeling he got from the calling has stayed with him ever since he first heard it 23 years ago. It was during a performance of The New Radicals You Get What You Give on Top of the Pops in April 1999, the music cut out, the crowd all stood stock still in place, and the guitarist looked straight down camera, addressing him personally, by name, instructing him to dig. You can look up this performance on YouTube, and this doesn't happen, by the way, but he swears blind, that's what he remembers. And what do you find underground, having received this message? Well, the warmth and protection of the great earth womb, for one, but... That's a flip response. Wilson said that the real reason discussion of the calling is so discouraged by the forums is simple. They're afraid.
When Wilson heard the calling, he started tunneling the same day. It took him 15 years of trial and error until he found what he was looking for. He looked me in the eye as he told me this, suddenly serious, inviting me to disbelieve him. It was a hot Sunday in June when his shovel hit something softer than expected, buried in a seam of clay he'd found in the depths of his latest excavation. When he pulled it back out from beneath him, he shone his little torch on it and found... blood. In that moment, the compulsion he felt redoubled. He dropped his tools and began scrabbling in the earth, carefully carving aside the wet clay with his fingers, until it uncovered a full shape under the obscured half-light of his headset torch. A hand. A familiar hand. He kept going, picking the clay out from between its fingers, working his way up the arm, gradually uncovering an elbow and then a bicep, until he saw what he was looking for. Wilson paused telling his story at this point, and then started taking his heavy coat off in the little cafe in Finsbury Park. Rolling up his sleeve, he pointed to a tattoo on his left shoulder, the faded, slightly fuzzy remnants of an early 90s tribal tat, left damaged and uneven by age and the sun. The arm he found in his tunnel had the same tattoo, but unlike Wilson's, it was fresh. He kept digging, his fingers moving through the clay like a sculptor now, finding the shape beneath from memory. Among the cold and the damp, the skin was warm to the touch, a well-worn softness to the stomach before the delicate firmness of the ribcage beneath the skin. He paused when he reached the neck, but only momentarily. The compulsion was simply too strong, even with the uncanny feeling of seeing your own torso and half a leg jutting from the loam as the dirt piles up around you. Ever so carefully, he worked it away from the chin, the mouth, the nose, the open eyes of this interloper, this new and improved, this fresh young understudy that called out to him somehow, brought him to this place, demanded to be free. As he did so, it turned to look at him. It inhaled a wet, sucking breath. And, with kind eyes and a measured conservation of movement, it began to help. With the extra pair of hands, Wilson had the other Wilson excavated within 20 minutes. He said that the light was flickering at this point, but he didn't really need it, in the same way you can find your own body in the dark. The two men brought out this clean new self, limb by limb. Wilson sat back, admiring his creation. It flexed and stood before him, shoulders heaving unnaturally, and then gradually slowing to a steady in, out. Wilson became aware that it was observing him in return, mimicking his breath patterns. Learning.
They stood like this for a minute or two, caught in the twilight of the tunnel. Then, before Wilson caught his breath entirely, it walked away. So what happened to it, I asked Wilson, suddenly aware of how far over the table I was leaning. I'm not sure, he said, deflating a little. I never saw it again. He knows he's not alone, though. Wilson has met at least three other hobby tunnelists with the same story, and with the same ending. These creatures, they simply leave, go out into the world, walk alongside us. Where do they go? What is the criteria for being called? Are we doing them a favour? Can they forgive us if we don't? I want to leave you all with the words of William Little, the Mole Man of Hackney. When asked once again why he felt compelled to tunnel, he said, There is great beauty in inventing things that serve no purpose. I'm inclined to agree, but with one small amendment. There is great beauty in inventing things whose purpose we cannot understand. next episode of Subterraneans, Appalachian cryptids and invasive non-native species. I've been James Thompson. You can reach me at Subtopod on Twitter or by email through Subtopod at gmail. This is a message to you and you alone. This is being prepared and transmitted to you specifically. If you are hearing this, I do not have much time. You must buy a pickaxe and a shovel. You must walk to the centre of the road junction nearest to your current location. Once there, ignoring traffic, you must begin digging. Do this now. If you're enjoying this series, please, subscribe and rate on the Apple Podcasts app. You can also subscribe on Patreon, where you get access to transcripts, bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes info from £5 a month. That's patreon.com forward slash subtopod. Special thanks to my £10 and above subscribers, Hiran and Alex. Share bright, failing star. Thanks for listening. <laughs>